Okay, well, take your Bibles and uh, let's continue to worship through His Word. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, and if this is your first time with us, uh, we have been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. We've looked at the Beatitudes, we've looked at sort of the contrasting statements, you've heard it said, but I say to you, and now we're looking at what it means to be seeking the kingdom of God in our everyday life, what that looks like. Last week, Jordan was here, he, he pastors over at our Southwest campus, and, and he brought the message, and what he pointed out was the contrast between uh, seeking God in a bad way, in the wrong way, in a way that brings you glory, uh, praying and fasting and giving in such a way that you draw attention to yourself, and that was sort of the Pharisees' way of doing things, and, and uh, some of the religious elite, and they really wanted to, to grab uh, uh, the attention of their uh, fellow Israelites and wanted them to be impressed more so than really God being impressed. And so he talked about the, the challenges with that and how we are to seek God properly. Now the Lord Jesus is going to turn the page, and they're asking, well, if that's not the way we pray, with lots of repetition, lots of fancy words, lots of incantations and posturing and all of those different things, I thought that would get God's attention and it would please him to see all of that. If that's not the way to pray, then how should we pray? Teach us to pray, Lord. And so Jesus graciously teaches us to pray. And it's amazing when they asked him to teach, teach them to pray. They wanted to learn to pray like him because they had watched him. They'd seen him. It wasn't just the words he used. It was just his heart, the character of his prayer as much as the components of the prayer, then you would think if Jesus gave a lesson on praying, it would be gigantic. It's so simple. A child can pray. It's so simple and approachable. The Father is not making it hard for us to pray. The enemy is. Our flesh is. God doesn't make it hard. He says, come talk to me. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful prayer. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your what? Your Father who is in heaven, in secret. <laughs> We're getting heaven in a minute. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. And what, are they, what is he talking about there? Well, you've probably seen it. You've seen it on television or in movies, and, and maybe you have. I've been in different, I did a world religion study, and I went to lots of different places to watch different religions worship, and, and I've been into some where they were burning incense, and they were chanting over and over and over again to uh, uh, different gods and pagan gods, and, and you will hear sometimes in the attempts of other religions to appease God or get God's attention, they will do it through a lot of repetition. And so he's just saying, you see all of that, that's not really doing them any good. Here's the way a genuine believer prays. You see, your father knows what you need before you're asking. You're not going to surprise him. You don't have to beg for his attention. He wants you to come before him. He wants you to pray. He wants you to interact with him. He wants you to pull up beside him 
and to open, open up your heart to him. But there is a particular way, an attitude of prayer that I think Jesus teaches us in this. There are really many messages that could come out of this Lord's Prayer passage. But I really only want to bring you two points, two main issues. And they have less to do with the components of prayer, adoration, confession, praise, thanksgiving, supplication. I could do a sermon on the components of prayer. You probably heard that. But I've just been impressed this week in my study, overwhelmed actually, with the attitude of prayer, the character of our heart when we pray. And I think Jesus really speaks to that here in these messages. He says, pray then, look at verse 9, pray then like this. Take those four words. First two, pray then. Folks, we need to be praying. He wants us to pray and he invites us to pray. Pray then. He doesn't say if you pray. He says when you pray. But pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. By the way, some of y'all will be sad that my version doesn't have thy name. You're pretty sure that's the way heaven taught us. You know, by the way, you don't have to pray in King James English to be heard. (laughs) But I, of course, I grew up in the South. I mean, before every ball game, I think even in school, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. You know, you don't have to have thys and thous. That's King James English, but the pronouns are very, very important. And I'll point out those. The pronoun your name is to be hallowed. Your kingdom, we want to come. Your will, we want to be done. So whether you say your or thy or thou, the point is, God, we want those things to happen on earth as it is where in heaven and then give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts now notice the pronoun changes doesn't it from your 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 to our our us give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forget we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. By the way, some of you might, speaking of King James, King James includes an ending to the prayer that is not really in any of the most ancient manuscripts that we discovered long after 1611, much earlier manuscripts, and none of them had, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, and forever and ever. But it does make a great ending to the song. And it makes a great ending to the prayer. And by the way, if you add that to your Lord's Prayer, you're not breaking any rules. (laughs) And it's all doctrinally absolutely correct. It doesn't lead us astray. That's important for you to know. It's not wrong. It's just not in the earliest manuscripts. And so it just ends there. Deliver us from evil. But then Jesus says, before I get too far away from the prayer, I want to make sure you, you caught that part. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass or who have debts uh, that they owe us. We forgive them too. And so, there's an attitude 
There's an attitude, a particular attitude towards others and a particular attitude towards God that we bring when we, when we come to pray. And so when he says pray then like this, it's not just components. It is the character and the attitude of your prayer. But I want to take those first two phrases and I think there's just great lessons here that I hope will encourage you as you use this as a framework for prayer. I use the Lord's Prayer as a framework for a lot of my personal prayer life. It's a great guide, and I think you'll find it, and you'll see that as I'll work through it. But the first phrase shows us the pathway of all Christian genuine prayer. There's only one path, our Father who art in heaven. You see, the pathway of prayer is not a ritual, an incantation, piling up fancy words. The pathway is a relationship. And it is absolutely incredible that Jesus begins his prayer with this word. Our Father is a Greek translation. Pater is a Greek translation of the word that most every scholar believes that Jesus used over and over again in his prayers. And he's teaching you to use it. He started this with an Aramaic word for daddy. He started his prayer, Abba. How many of you have heard that before? All right, that's not total news to you, but maybe some of you didn't realize. Jesus says, I'm going to teach you to pray. And then when he started the lesson on prayer, he started with something radical. This was not the way that the Hebrew religious folks prayed. Number one, they always prayed in Hebrew because they really believed that Hebrew was a heavenly language. And that if you were going to talk to God, you needed to talk with him in the heavenly language. Some people think it's, it's King James language. If you go and you, you, you read the Quran, if you're reading a translation, that's not the Quran. You, it, is, it is meant to be written, read in, in Arabic. Jesus says, no, there is not a heavenly language. It is the heart language. Whatever you call daddy, what do you call your dad? Dad, daddy, papa. It is that relationship that is the pathway to God. It's not a fancy title. Some of you might call me pastor. A lot of people call me pastor. I love that. Some of you might, not very many of you call me Dr. Chauncey. That was, that was 10, 15 years ago. And a lot of you may call me David. I love all those addresses, but I'm telling you, there's only five people that call me daddy. Daddy. Well, that's a special word if you're a dad. Trust me. And it's a special word, isn't it, if you're a kid? When I send emails or make phone calls to my dad, I don't go, Hi, Doyle. How are you, Doyle? Hey, Dad. And he opens up his prayer, and he says, The path to me is through a relationship. I'm not a distant power source. I'm not, a, like Aristotle would say, the immovable mover or... Uh, Luke Skywalker would say, the force. He's not a force. He is a person. And he says, you can come to me and start this prayer with the intimate word, Abba. Abba. Do you think of God that way? Is that the attitude? Doesn't that change your prayer life? My kids really don't think much about how they ask for things from me. Unless it's really controversial, then they think through it. 
But most of the time, it's just, Dad, can I, Dad, can I, can I, Dad. There is an intimacy because of that relationship. Now, what I love about the prayer that Jesus is teaching us is he gives us this very strange way, but it was the way he chose 167 times in the New Testament. Jesus calls God, the one Father God calls him Abba. And the reason, he, he, he gives us this incredible, controversial way of addressing God, but he always characterizes and balances out Abba by saying, Abba, who is where? In heaven. You're no ordinary Abba. You're not an Abba like David Chauncey. Listen, us fathers here give the father a bad name. We don't make him look very good. We don't give him a great picture. We don't give everybody a great picture of fatherhood. And, it's, and Father, he chooses this pronoun not because he's male or female, but to give you the idea that God is the creator, the source. But most importantly, the reason that he chose this, this pronoun is to give you access. Because I'm telling you, kids have a way of making it through the barriers of an office to the president. They just have a way. What's the way? Oh, can I talk to dad? Oh, yes. You can. They have a way of making it through. And this relationship, when Jesus says, here's how you pray, not dressed in the robes and not out on the corners trying to to, to just capture people's uh, attention and show yourself perfect and show yourself holy and pious. That doesn't impress God. I'm telling you, the way to reach God is through the relationship. And here's the question then. Do you have a father-son, father-daughter relationship with the God of the universe? That's the question. It's the first question the very first words ask you to think about. So the most important thing to think about as you begin to utter any prayer about anything is do I have a relationship with the God that I'm talking to? And if you do, he is your father and he relates to you in a caring, nurturing way like a good father would. You say, well, how can I know? Listen to what John 1 says. John 1.11 says, he came to his own Now, this is Jesus, God the Son, has become flesh, and he came to the Jewish people, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive Jesus, welcome him by faith, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You say, well, I thought all human beings were all God's children through creation, But being a created child of God is not going to help you. Look what he says. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, not of creation, not of mom and dad here on earth, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. To be in the family of God, you've got to be born again of God. And that comes through faith in Christ. And so you, you have to have a relationship with Christ. The pathway of prayer is established in the very first word Jesus uses. He says, you need to be able to stand beside Jesus and stand beside another believer. And together we say our, what? Father. I can only say our Father because I am linked with the Son of God. 
and I am co-heirs with Christ. Do you have a relationship? Boy, doesn't it change anything? Doesn't it change things to think of him in that way? But Jesus balances it out. He says, our father, but he's divine. He's in heaven. He's on a throne. He's utterly holy. He's preeminent. He is, he is beyond our, our, our conceptual abilities. And yet he comes to us and says, when you approach me, approach me as a father. My uh, youngest son has spent the last three months in California. And he um, worked at a Christian camp, and he's coming back this week, going to get back to school. But we've missed him. We hadn't seen him for three months. He's been working hard, at a, and, but, um, and it's kind of a ministry to him. It's been a great experience. But I know he's looking forward to getting home, but not as much as we are as to see him. But what's interesting is this week, uh, and almost every week or every other week, it's a volunteer position. So he's not being paid. He gets room and board, but he's not making any money. And so what I would routinely do about every couple of weeks is I would look at his bank account. His bank account is, is linked to mine. How many of you got one linked to mom and dad? How many moms and dads want it unlinked? Just say amen right now. You're ready to unlink that. But it allows me to look. And I would look... And, it, and I would just, I wanted to make sure as his father that even though he was room and board, I, I just wanted to make sure if something came up, he had what he needed. And this, this week it was really low and I, I texted him just the other day and I know he's coming home Wednesday and I said, hey bud, you need, how much money you need to make it home? He goes, I just need about three meals. He didn't know. I didn't, I didn't say much about it. He didn't text me for the money. And I, I, I didn't realize he was going to give me a sermon illustration. Because our Father in heaven, did you catch what we, what we saw in these first few verses? Our Father in heaven already knows what we need. He sees your spiritual account, your bank account, your emotional account. He sees them all. And he loves you like a father. Now, he wants us to pray, but how many of you have ever had the experience of having God put a, some money in your bank you didn't expect when you needed it? How many of you have a relationship you never expected that came into your life and changed your life? Do you realize how much your father loves you? And what a joy. I didn't expect him to do this. He just said, just give me enough to feed me for a day. And Jesus said, our Father, give us this day our daily bread. The pathway of our prayer is so important. Because when you realize who you're talking to, in fact, what you think about God is far more important than what you ask from God in every single prayer. And the reason I know that is if you look at these first six petitions, well, really, they're all, they're all six petitions. If you look at them, the first three have everything to do with God. The last three have to do with our needs. 
Notice this prayer, and we'll see in this the priority of prayer. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. A lot of times I've just prayed that prayer, not thought of those as petitions, but they are. It's really a request. You're asking God to do three things, and all three of those things have to do with himself. You are asking God, first of all, to make his name honored and praised and adored everywhere. God, cause your name to be hallowed. And whether you're praying individually or we're praying together as a church, don't you agree with me, church? We want the name of God hallowed and honored in this place. It is worthy. And then if you look in our community, in our world, and you watch the television, you watch the news, does it ever cross your mind to say, God, make your name glorious in this world, this wicked world. They need to honor and know your name. You are worthy of praise and honor. Cause your name to be hallowed. Ultimately, I think the five petitions that follow this really all push towards that because the way that his name is hallowed in the earth is when his kingdom comes. And he says, uh, cause your kingdom to come. What kingdom? Well, you know, uh, really the kingdom was started with Jesus and his Holy Spirit coming into us and through the church. And it's growing and it's like a, a, a mustard seed growing and it's growing. And then eventually it, his kingdom will come in a very physical, tangible way. Ultimately, after the second coming, we will have his kingdom literally on the face of a new heaven and a new earth. But all of that we are praying for. God, I want to see your rule, your rule and reign in my personal life deeper and more meaningful and I want it in my church God cause your this church to just be ruled by you may your kingdom this just be a place where your kingdom is felt and seen and very present in everything that we do do you share that prayer with me church don't you want to see his kingdom I thought about that this week I how did I end up in the ministry? How did I end up a believer? How did I end up really excited about studying the Bible? Even when I was in high school, even in college, why did I get excited about Jesus? It's because I met him. I encountered the living God. I encountered him in my student ministry, my youth group. I encountered him through different leaders. I encountered him in the valleys and in the mountains and on the lakes. I encountered him personally in prayer times. I encountered the living God and I said, this needs to happen everywhere. Make your name hallowed everywhere. Make your kingdom come everywhere. Make your will be done in me, in our church, in Gainesville, in the rest of the world. Make it happen, God. You know, we can't make it happen. Do you notice that the first three petitions have everything to do with God and not to anything really to do with you? Except that the greatest thing that could happen to you is for the kingdom of God to grow in and through and around you. 
The greatest thing that could ever happen, the greatest treasure he could ever give you has nothing to do with daily bread or all of these other things. It has to do with sensing his presence and his will being done in and through your life. That is a great treasure. And so if you understand the great relationship you have with God through Christ, this is my father. And you see Christ. We're going to celebrate what Christ did for us on the cross through communion. When we see this, and we are able to call the God of the universe Father. It, it just, it, that's why every prayer should be truly a moment of worship. You're recognizing what he's done for you. I can call you Father. And, and God, I want that more in my life. And I want to have that more real in my life. And I want it everywhere else. Make your kingdom come. Make your name be hallowed. Make your will be done. It's the most important person in all of our prayer is God, not us. Can I just be honest? I think if we're all honest about it, most of our prayers begin with (laughs) yours truly, with us and our particular need. Do I think God just closes his ear and said, oh, back up. You didn't say those other three things. You started with daily bread. Sorry, back up. No, but I think as you encounter and know Jesus more and know God more and you see the grace of God in your life, it is hard to bypass adoration and praise when you open your prayer with Father. You realize what it would be without Jesus. You would face God in his wrath But because of Jesus, you can open up your prayer in relationship. And when you see that, oh, then you want his name to be hallowed. Aren't you glad that you didn't walk in here and I didn't make you do a a, a lot of uh, chanting and repetition and all sorts of things, hoping that God would be pleased, hoping that he might act like your father, that he might love you and he might care for you. If somehow you could just pile enough effort and pile enough good works and pile enough wise prayers up and then you please God. And you walk out hoping, aren't you glad you could walk in here assured through the blood of Christ, your father wants to hear from you and he cares. That's why we pray. That's why we sing. That's what it's all about. And we want his kingdom to come. We want more of that. That's why we're on mission. That's why we send mission dollars. That's why we send people on mission. The reason we want, we want his name hallowed on every continent, in every language, in every tribe, because God deserves it. So we look at these next three petitions. And if we, if we get the first three petitions and that becomes the attitude of our heart. We just enter into every prayer with like, I can't believe I'm here. Thank you. I adore you. I praise you. Thank you, God. Help me love you more. Help others love me more. Use my life to help people come to know you, King Jesus. If you come, through every, if you come into prayer with that attitude, it shapes 
and guides the next three petitions. That's why I think he's put them last. Because if you understand who God is and who you are in Christ, he's your father, you're his child, you understand that, then, you, then, then your concern about daily bread changes, right? You're sort of like Stephen. You, knew, you know he's watching. And so you just ask. It changes your, uh, your attitude towards your sin. When you enter into the presence of God and you know he's your father and you, you know what he's done for you and you, you know he offers forgiveness and pardon, but you know that you have failed. Your desire is, is that his will would be done in your life and in this world. And however, every time you enter into prayer, if you're like me, you know you haven't done his will perfectly every time and every way. And so I can't bypass the fact that God, forgive us. I owe you a debt. You have done so much for me, and I have not done your will. I know that I have fallen short of the glory of God. Forgive me my debts. And God says, no problem. I have forgiven it in Christ through his blood. He took the penalty for your sin. But if you truly value that and know that and understand that, the evidence of that will be that as you come into the prayer, you have forgiven the debts of those who have sinned against you. See the attitude, prayer. The priority is, the, is God, and he wants us to be in right relationship with others. And so we forgive, and we love, and we seek first his kingdom, not retribution, not pride, not our name. We humble ourselves, and we ask for forgiveness, and we forgive others. And then we ask him to forgive us. And then when we're looking, we're looking at this desire so much. We desire so much. God, glorify yourself in me. And you know you've just asked for the forgiveness of your sins. You know how often susceptible you are to temptation. And you want more than anything to honor God in every part of your life, in your thought life, your word life, your deed life. You want, to, you want his kingdom to just be manifest in every area of your life. Then So it just leads naturally to God, just lead me away from temptation. Preserve me from testing and protect me from the evil one. He's after me and I want I don't want the evil one to get me or to trip me, not because I'll lose my salvation, I know I won't lose my salvation if, if I sin. I know I won't lose my salvation if the evil one tricks me or deceives me. I know that. But here's what I want more than anything is I want your name hallowed in David Chauncey's life, in Westside Baptist Church's life. I want your name hallowed, so preserve me from sin. Lead me away from temptation. Protect me from the evil one. See how the first three guide the last three. So how do you pray? This is really, I've studied this passage and taught on this passage many times. And every time I come to it and I meditate on it for a week, it does this to me. It reformats my prayer life. My approach to God, Father in heaven. 
Make your kingdom come, your will be done, and your name be hallowed. Keep me alive another day so that I can help make that happen. Forgive me of my trespasses. Keep me pure and clean so I don't dishonor your name. Be with me in every test and trial. I know you don't tempt me to sin. That's my flesh. That's the devil. But protect me. God, I don't want to dishonor your name. And help me to love others the way you have just loved me. What a prayer. That long. He gives us a seminary education on prayer. You know what I think we all need, though? Is when we look at Scripture... These amazing prayers that we hear on the lips of people like Daniel and uh, Isaiah and different folks in Scripture, these prayers almost always follow a new encounter with God, a renewed reverence for God. My favorite illustration is in Isaiah chapter 6. King Uzziah, the great king, has just died. And he had led an economic revival. There was all sorts of good things about Uzziah, but he's dead. The country's going downhill. The spiritual level of the people around him are going downhill. That doesn't sound familiar. But anyway, you know, all of these things are happening, and he is depressed, and he's in prayer in the presence of God. And I can just imagine what he's praying for. God, help me uh, be a good prophet. God, uh, turn this country around. Turn all of that around and listen to what it says in Isaiah 6. It says, in that year, I saw the Lord. And listen to what God did. He allowed Isaiah to see his name being hallowed in heaven, his will being done in heaven, He allowed uh, Isaiah to see uh, his kingdom in full operation in heaven before Isaiah really could get to the petitions of his life. And the reason that I think he he let him see that uh, is because it, it prepared Isaiah to pray right to think of his life right, and to endure what was ahead. And he sees the Lord, and, 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 and it's just, it's all happening for God in heaven. Above him stood the seraphim. They had six wings with two, they covered their face. Two, they covered their feet. With two, he flew. And one called to the other, hey, seraphim. And God goes, what, what do you want, seraphim? It's, let's keep bringing in praise. Let's sing together. Holy, 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 right? So this is what's happening in heaven, his name is being hallowed by the angels. Every rule is being followed. Every command is being listened to. And Isaiah gets a, a picture of that. And notice Isaiah's reaction. This is one of my favorite parts of Scripture. When he sees all of that, he goes, hey, listen, while I'm here, will you help me pass that test tomorrow? Can I get that new car that I've been asking for? Can you just help me? While he's in the presence of God, let me tell you his first thought. Woe is me. 
I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. You see what happened in that presence. When he saw the, the name of God being hallowed, his will being followed, his kingdom in full operation, his immediate recognition was that none of that was happening in his own life. And none of it was happening in the people he came from. And these were the people of God. And this was the moment where he encountered God. And you just know, God said, I'm going to pardon you and forgive you. And he sent an angel. And one of the angels touched his tongue with a coal and symbolically purified him. He said, you're now pure. He covered you. You see, that, that's what Jesus did for you is he covered your sin in the presence of a holy God. He made you clean. Even though his will and his kingdom is not happening in you, he made you clean and you could be in the presence of God and now you can even speak to God. But notice what Isaiah's first words were to God when he saw all of the holiness of God was, here am I, send me. Just put me on mission for this, God. I want to be a part of making your kingdom come and having your will be done. I want to be a part of that. Forget all the rest of the stuff. If you need, feed me, keep me alive, forgive me, pardon me, protect me, whatever you need to do, I'm on mission for you because I have encountered the living God. I pray that for you. And I pray it for me. Joshua had the same experience as he was getting ready to go into Jericho. He's just walking by Jericho and he had not received all the... And an angel of the Lord shows up and it's really a pre-incarnate son of God moment. And Joshua asked, are you for me or against me? And he said, he didn't answer the question. He just said, um, I'm the angel of the Lord. I'm on mission from God, and you are on holy ground. Take off your shoes. And bef- he took off his shoes, and he prostrated himself on in, in the presence of the Lord. And I just realized he had to have that attitude of humility before he could receive some of the craziest instructions ever given to a military leader. Before he could, there's no way unless he had seen and responded to the king that he would ever say, okay, let's march around this city six times, seven times. Let's shout a bunch of times and the walls will fall. Sure, that will happen. Before he could ever get to the obedience of the, of the Lord, he had to have an encounter with the Lord. And I'm praying that for you. You know, we have holy ground moments. And I, I always consider the Lord's table one of those moments. The holy ground for us is the cross. It's where we come, and it's where God and man met. It's where our sin and his forgiveness met. It's at the cross where we meet and God becomes our father. And so as we go into the Lord's table, I pray you'll just encounter him 
and see him anew and worship him. Let's pray together. With every head bowed, I want to spend just a moment. The deacons are preparing to come forward, and I'm going to call them forward in just a moment. But I'd like you just to take some time as the music just plays softly and just ask the Lord, Father, give me a renewed vision of who you are and what you've done for me. Help me see you as Father like I never have before. Help me see you as Savior like I never have before. Help me trust you and your nurture and your care and your provision and your sovereignty like I never have before. And then I'll trust you with all the petitions of life. I'll share with you my heart's desires, but I know they've been funneled through and sifted through your name, your kingdom, your will. Just ask God in these quiet moments just to make this a holy ground time for you as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together.